Hi everyone, it's good to be with you again today. Thank you for taking the time to tune in and listen. I suspect that many of you will be growing tired of this and longing to meet up together again, but I want to encourage you not to give up hope. Let's keep on meeting together, even if it's only over WhatsApp. Maybe take some time this week to phone or WhatsApp just one member of our congregation, perhaps somebody you don't know that well. Maybe you could arrange a socially distanced walk with a congregation member. Let's keep on encouraging one another and building one another up. We continue with our sermon series through the book of First Peter, After Suffering Glory. And today we come to chapter 2 and verses 4 to 10. This is a passage that is all about construction. So grab your Bible and notebook, as well as your hard hat, and let's see what God has to say to us through First Peter's letter. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by people, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. In reading through First Peter and planning out my sermon series, how I would divide up the text and the sermon topics, I came to this passage and thought, mm, well, it's not the most exciting passage. There are a lot more interesting passages that are relevant to our everyday lives. But the more I studied the text, the more I found in it, to the point that, God willing, I'm actually going to take two weeks on these verses. The picture to bear in mind here is of a very large building site where two separate building projects are underway. There's a lot of building material lying around, and on one side of the construction site we have some men and women building their own structure. And they come across a stone that to them doesn't look like very much, and so they reject it as being unworthy, and they continue their construction project. On the other side of the building site, though, God is building something quite spectacular. A magnificent spiritual house made up of men and women and boys and girls. 
And the very stone that the other builders rejected, God uses as the cornerstone of this beautiful and glorious structure. So in this passage, Peter has something very important to teach us about the Lord Jesus and something very important to teach us about ourselves, not as individuals, but as a church. This week, we'll have a look at what he tells us about Jesus, and then next week, we'll have a look at what he says about us. Now, in order to understand what Peter tells us about Jesus in these verses, there are three pieces of background information that you need. You need to understand something about ancient building practices, something of the Old Testament background to these verses, and something of the New Testament background to these verses. Let's have a look. Firstly, in order to understand what Peter tells us about Jesus, you need to understand something about ancient building practices. In this passage, Peter describes Jesus as being a cornerstone. Now, what is a cornerstone? Some modern buildings have cornerstones. In fact, our own church building has two cornerstones, one in the hall, which used to be the main church sanctuary, and one in our present church sanctuary. I couldn't get into the hall this week to check the exact wording, but as far as I remember, it says something along the lines of, To the glory of God, this stone was laid by Reverend So-and-so, and the date. By and large, our modern cornerstones are more decorative and commemorative than functional. But in the ancient world, the cornerstone was the most important stone in a structure. As its name suggests, this stone was laid at the corner of the building. It was a foundation stone, and it was the very first stone to be laid. Remember that in those days they didn't have laser measures or spirit levels or position finders. And so what they did is they carved out a perfect stone, a perfect square or rectangle that had the perfect dimensions. They would lay it first and then all of the other stones that were laid were laid in relation to the cornerstone just to say that some of the older versions of verse 7 say the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And the word capstone isn't particularly helpful to us because we tend to think in terms of a stone that's at the top of the building, the last stone to be put in place. And then we get confused. Is Peter talking about one stone or two? But capstone literally means the chief stone, the most important stone. It's referring again to the cornerstone. So the image throughout this passage is of this cornerstone. The cornerstone was the major structural part of ancient buildings. It had to be strong enough to support what was built upon it, and it had to be precisely laid and perfect because every other part of the structure was oriented to it. Secondly, in order to understand what Peter tells us about Jesus here, you need to understand the Old Testament background to this term cornerstone. You might have noticed, if you have an NIV Bible in front of you, that Peter quotes three Old Testament passages in these verses. The first quotation comes from Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16, quoted here in verse 6. See, I lay a stone in Zion 
a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The prophet Isaiah was writing to the southern kingdom of Judah just at the time when the Assyrian army was threatening the northern kingdom of Israel. And the leaders of Jerusalem didn't believe for a moment that Jerusalem would ever be destroyed. They thought that perhaps the northern kingdom might be destroyed, but the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, never. They had the temple. They could never be destroyed. They felt that they were God's people and were secure in the shadow of the temple. And so Isaiah, writing 150 years before the destruction of the temple, mocks the confidence of the leaders of Jerusalem. He writes, Therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. You boast. We have entered into a covenant with death, with the realm of the dead we've made an agreement. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us, for we've made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. They were saying, we have done a deal with death, so that even when disaster hits the whole region, we will be safe. But verse 16, Isaiah says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie, and water will overflow your hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with the realm of the dead will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, you will be beaten down by it. God says, well, you think that you're safe, but you're not. You can't trust your good deeds. You can't use the temple as a sort of rabbit's foot. You can't do what you want as my people and think that you are safe. The city of Jerusalem will be destroyed. The temple won't save you. But I will build a refuge. I'll lay a cornerstone. If you trust the foundation that I lay, you will be safe, as opposed to the lies you believe. Now, over time, people in Israel understood that this cornerstone was a person. In fact, none other than the promised Messiah. Certainly by Jesus' day, people understood this cornerstone as referring to the Messiah. You might have noticed that Isaiah says, the one who relies on it will never be put to shame. But by the time of Jesus, uh, the Old Testament had been translated into Greek. And the Greek version of Isaiah 28 says, the one who relies on him will never be put to shame. People understood this to be a person. There's a second quotation from Isaiah 2 in this passage. In verse 8, Peter quotes Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 14 a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. Again, remember Isaiah is speaking to people who are worried and concerned. The Assyrian army is challenging the northern kingdom of Israel. There is a worldwide upheaval as this nation begins to flex its muscles. And God says this through the prophet Isaiah. Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. 
He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary. But for both houses of Israel, he'll be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. And so Isaiah speaks about the dual nature of this cornerstone that Peter develops in this passage. For some people, this stone will be a safe place, a sanctuary. But for others, he will be a stumbling block. And then thirdly in this passage, Peter quotes Psalm 118 in verse 7. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Psalm 118 is a psalm of thanksgiving where an individual has been rescued by God. He says, When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvellous in our eyes. The psalmist is using a proverb which describes the change from humiliation to honour, and this man recognises that this is something that God has done for him. Instead of being humiliated by his enemies, God has honoured him because he has taken God as his refuge. Thirdly, in order to understand what Peter tells us about Jesus in these verses, you need to understand some of the New Testament background to this passage. Remember, Jesus calls twelve men to be his disciples, and one of these is a man called Simon, whose name Jesus changes to Peter, which means the rock. Long before Dwayne Johnson arrived on the scene, all the way back in 30 AD, Jesus designated a Galilean fisherman with this title of the rock. If you read through the Gospels, you'll find that Peter was quite an impetuous and unstable person, and so Jesus gives him this nickname to remind him of what he is supposed to be. Tommy Lasorda was the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers baseball team, and there was a skinny young pitcher who was new in the Dodgers minor league, Aurel Hershiser. The youngster was shy and timid, but he had an extraordinarily powerful and accurate arm. And the manager was convinced that this young pitcher had the potential to be one of the greatest ever. And so he gave him a nickname that was exactly the opposite of his personality. He called him Bulldog. And over the years, that's exactly what Aurel Hershiser became, one of the most tenacious competitors in baseball. The nickname became a perpetual reminder of what he ought to be, and before long it shaped his whole attitude. And Jesus does the same. He gives Peter the nickname Rock, to remind him of what he should be. In the Gospels, when Peter is impetuous or faithless, Jesus calls him Simon. But whenever Peter is faithful and trusting and dependable, Jesus calls him Peter. 
A famous example of this is in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus asks his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answer, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus says, But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter replies, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus didn't mean that Peter was the rock on which he would build his church, as some sections of the church suggest. If Jesus had meant that, then I'm sure that Peter would have mentioned that in these verses in 1 Peter 2. No, Jesus meant that he would build his church on the rock of Peter's confession of him being the Christ. And I think that Peter must really have enjoyed using this image of Jesus as the rock in this passage. Jesus had called him rock, but really Peter knew that Jesus was the rock. You may also remember that immediately after Peter's confession, Jesus begins to explain to his disciples that he will go to Jerusalem and suffer at the hands of the elders and that he would be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter rebukes Jesus. Peter couldn't imagine that the Christ, the Messiah, could suffer and die. This concept was a stumbling block to Peter at this time. But over time, Peter changed. Peter would have remembered hearing Jesus quoting Psalm 118, the passage that we looked at a moment ago. Matthew, Mark and Luke all tell us Jesus' story about a man who owns a vineyard and hires it out to some farmers. At the end of the harvest, he sends some servants to get his share of the harvest, but the tenant farmers beat the servants and chase them away. Eventually, the man sends his son to them. They will respect my son, he thinks. But when the tenants see the son, they say, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they take him out of the vineyard and kill him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do, Jesus asks? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And then looking at the Pharisees, Jesus says, Have you never read in the scriptures, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Peter would have remembered Jesus saying that. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, after the day of Pentecost, everything falls into place for Peter. We read in Acts chapter 4 how Peter and John heal a man who was born lame and how they're arrested by the Jewish authorities the very same Jewish authorities who put Jesus to death. And when Peter and John are called to defend themselves, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, says this, Rulers and elders of the people, 
It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So with all of that background in mind, let's look at the nature of Christ our cornerstone, as Peter describes him here in these verses. What are some of the things that Peter tells us about the Lord Jesus in this passage? Firstly, Peter describes Jesus as the living stone. Although Peter is using building imagery, he doesn't want us to think of Jesus as being a lump of inert marble. Jesus is the living stone, not just because he's a living person, but because he is alive from the dead as the risen Lord. God set his cornerstone in place by the resurrection. Although the rulers and elders rejected Jesus and put him to death, the resurrection is God's ultimate yes to Jesus' finished work. Jesus is the living stone, but secondly, as we've seen, he's rejected by people. The Apostle John describes this for us on the very first page of his Gospel. Speaking about Jesus coming into the world, he says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The Reed Gold Mine is located in North Carolina in America. It's the site of the first documented commercial gold find in the United States. In 1799, a young boy called Conrad Reed found a seven-kilogram yellow rock in the creek on their family farm. It was an interesting shape and colour, and for three years this rock became the doorstop of the family home. In 1802, a jeweller realised that the rock was a huge gold nugget. He told Conrad's dad, John Reed, that he wanted to buy the rock and told him to name his price. And John, not realizing the value of the rock, said he could have it for the hefty price of $3.50, which was a week's wages. The stone's real value was about $3,600. The stone that was rejected turned out to be the most important one. You know, we do the same every time we wander from God's truth. Every time we set up an idol in our hearts, we reject the living stone. The living stone, rejected by people, but thirdly, chosen by God and precious to him. When you read through the Gospels, you clearly see God's delight in and love for his Son. At Jesus' baptism, you have the voice from heaven this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Twice in John's gospel, Jesus says, the father loves the son. Think of God's words in Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. The New Testament commentator Edmund Clowney says this, 
Consider the intensity of the father's love for his only son as he took the role of a servant, accepted the father's will in Gethsemane, and accomplished his task on Calvary. The delight of the father in the finished work of his son is seen in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. The Father loves the Son and vindicates him by his resurrection. And this leads to the fourth thing we learn about Jesus. As the cornerstone, Peter tells us that he is divisive. Notice the duality in these verses, those who believe versus those who do not believe, those who disobey versus those who declare God's praise. Jesus is either a precious cornerstone or a stumbling block. And this is a phenomenal concept. One writer puts it this way, Christ is now seen as the key to all human destiny and the touchstone of all human endeavour. Faith in him leads to honour, unbelief to disaster. With this use of the stone passages, Peter eliminates all neutral ground. The rejection of Christ does not make him go away, but in fact has ultimate consequences. One either trusts in the living cornerstone or rejects him. Or as another writer puts it, Christ is laid across the path of humanity on its course into the future. In the encounter with him, each person is changed, one for salvation, another for destruction. One cannot simply step over Jesus to go on about the daily routine and pass him by to build a future. Whoever encounters him is inescapably changed through that encounter. Either one sees and becomes a living stone, or one stumbles as a blind person over Christ and comes to ruin, falling short of one's creator and redeemer, and thereby of one's destiny. All human beings one day will be judged on their acceptance or rejection of Jesus. We've looked at a number of different things this morning, but as we draw things to a close, let's look at some of the practical implications of all of this for our lives this week. Firstly, Peter tells us that we have to make Jesus our foundation. My friend and colleague Eddie Larkman in England puts it this way in one of his sermons. Everyone is building a life on something. What's the cornerstone of your life? What shapes your ambitions? The way you plan your schedule, spend your money, parent your children. When the chips are down, where do you turn for your security, your self-worth, your direction? Jesus is a divisive figure who demands total allegiance. He's the cornerstone, or he's nothing. What he will never be is just one brick in our building. He calls us to be built into his building. 
Secondly, Peter tells us that Jesus has to become precious to us. In verse 4, Peter tells us that Jesus is chosen by God and precious to him. And in verse 7, Peter says, Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. If Jesus is precious to God, then increasingly he needs to become precious to me. How does that work practically? Well, remember that this morning's passage continues on from the verses we looked at last time. Do you remember how Peter finished that section? He said in verses 2 and 3, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone. When we read God's word, we see Jesus, foreshadowed in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament. And as we read, we taste that Jesus is good. We see his beauty, his majesty, his true humanity, his grace. The more we look at him in scripture, the more he becomes precious to us. Thirdly, we are invited to draw near to him. Peter begins this passage, as you come to him, the living stone. Peter's using a word from the Greek Old Testament that describes the approach of a worshipper to God. And as he says in verses 9 and 10, once we were in darkness, but God has called us into his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. So have you come to him? Will you come to him tomorrow morning before the day begins? Will you keep on drawing ever nearer to him? And fourthly, and finally as we close, if we have Christ as our cornerstone, our foundation, if we continually draw near to him, if we consider him to be precious, then we will never, ever be disappointed. This pandemic has shown us how shaky and insecure and flimsy our other cornerstones have been. Our health, our wealth, our status, our jobs, our savings. For many people, those things have disappeared overnight. But in Jesus, we have a foundation, a cornerstone that will never fail us or disappoint us. Remember Peter's reference to Isaiah chapter 8. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread, and he will be a sanctuary. Psalm 118, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And his quotation from Isaiah 28 in verse 8. See, I lay a stone in Zion, 
a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. As we close, let me quote my friend Eddie again. Running through the Bible is the theme of two building projects, man's and God's. We seek to build our own structures, to choose our own foundation for life, to build life according to the shape we design, to do it our way, and to make a name for ourselves. This is how it has always been, right back to the Tower of Babel. But we were made for so much more than making a name for ourselves. We were made to find our joy in making much of God through Jesus, his Son. As we give up our own building project, we find ourselves part of something so much more glorious. Humanity's project will soon fall down. God's is eternal. Only what God builds will last. His new temple, built with his believing people, on the foundation of Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. May God bless you.